Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, the first Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. Pete is still sick. Fingers crossed he will return uh, soon for all of us. Uh, but uh, right now, we're talking about Minute 38. Whew. This is a hot minute. This is a sweaty, hot hot minute. This movie begins with Erskine calling for Mr. Stark to open the rebirth cradle and ends with Fred Clemson and his shady notes from Alan Silvestri. Back on the show, we have Chrissy Lenz and Nathan Blackwell from the Most Excellent 80s Movie Podcast. Thank you for having us on for the thirstiest minute. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I, 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 even I'm a little thirsty. This is, wow, this is, what is going on in this minute? There, there is before minute 38. <laughs> And there is after minute 38. That's yes, right. Yeah, it's uh, BM38 and AM38. We, we lucked out the most, the most pivotal moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perhaps the whole MCU is this uh-huh. minute. Now, I, I will say, Chrissy, you, uh, when we actually, both of you, when we had you on to talk about Iron Man, you very specifically picked some minutes where Tony was uh, kind of, it was, the, I, I guess you could say, the peak hotness for Tony in that particular film. He's in the cave, he's sweaty, he's wearing like a, you know, his, his I, I can't remember if he had no shirt on, but he's like, he's working the iron and he's, he's kind of like, like pounding with his hammer. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's just all sweaty as he's kind of like, kind of working hard. And now here we are talking about this minute with a, a very hot, very buff, uh, sweaty Chris Evans. Um, I, I'm wondering, like, should I just keep having Chrissy on for all these minutes where they, they, these heroes are revealed at their most hot? I would appreciate it, Andy. I mean, I'm available. <laughs> you missed Thor last I did season. Miss you Thor, didn't get to yeah. talk about that that very hot minute where he's walking around uh, in uh, in uh, Smith Motors, but, um, but but here we are with this one. Um, <laughs> I I feel like before we get to the reveal, the opening of the the chamber, the Vita chamber. Um, I just want to talk real quick about this moment because in the script, um, we have the EKG machines. We kind of see below Howard Stark, there's a green monitor and a little EKG line is, is beeping or the line is moving, showing us his heartbeat and stuff. In the script, that is actually beeping. And as the machines all shut down, the beeping stops and the line goes dead and everybody thinks Steve is dead. And even Cap- uh, Colonel Phillips has this moment where the script says he looks saddened and then the beeps start again. And that's when Stark opening opens it up. Uh, do we need any of that? I'm mean, like, did that help anything? I mean, you can see why they didn't shoot it. But I mean, do you feel like you wanted a moment where you were concerned that things didn't work? No, I don't. I yeah, no, I don't think so. I feel like the the energy was wanted to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. that that we had enough of that, just enough of the danger. Oh, should we stop? Should we cancel it? No, 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 keep going. And then you really wanted just kind of like the the big kind of like the birth. It's it was a weird thing in the script. I'm like, why did they think that was even necessary to like play it up like they'd accidentally killed him in the process of all this? I mean, we all know it's Captain America movie. We're here to watch this guy become Captain America. Yeah. Why bother playing with this whole thing? It just seems so strange. This is what we want. We want 
the success of this moment because we're, we've got the, a whole other rest of the film to watch. Um, and so this is that moment where you get the Vita Chamber opening up, Alan Silvestri's store, a score kicking in at the most heroic, like Captain America theme. And holy cow, Chris Evans is all swole up in there. What do you think, Chrissy? Oh man, uh, yeah, that, the, the little coffin did a did a bunch of sit ups for him. Was that a little mustache? Oh, little... Well, I got a case of the vapors. Uh, <laughs> but like with the moment that the chamber opens, though, you're just like, why is he wearing the most flesh colored pants? Like they're so <laughs> exactly the same color as his skin tone, and like so, you're just like. Oh, it's khakis. Okay, okay. He's not nude. <laughs> He's not nude in there. It's, it's his khakis. But yeah, my goodness. He had a, that's why he was screaming. He had a lot of uh, pectoral growth mm-hmm. to, ha- to go through. <laughs> Plus, the, the khakis were so darn tight at that point, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's like, you know, like eventually the eyes drift drift up and you're like, oh, there, there he is. But then you're just like, oh, what is happening with these pants? Like, I mean, he must have gone from like a size 28 to like a size 38. I I have to imagine that whatever fabric they had with these kind of the issue army khakis that that uh, puny Steve was wearing when he went in, that Howard Stark had started experimenting with stretchy fabric that later he would kind of uh, gift to uh, to Bruce Banner so that he perpetually had pants that fit. It's it's the weirdest thing. Like why? I mean, sure they need him to have pants on because obviously he's going to be out in the streets here soon um <laughs> but at this particular point it's like it would have made so much more sense for him to just be wearing like boxer briefs or something or, or a, a scrub yeah you know right. um yeah like 1940s pants are not known for their give like you know like <laughs> It's such a strange thing. The other interesting thing is when he went into this Vita chamber, when it closed on him, he had those shoulder pads on his pecs holding his – they they actually were full of needles injecting the serum into him. He also had the two clamped onto his arm, and he had like this belt strapped around his waist that a nurse had put in place. None of these are on. I have to assume that he swole so much that everything just kind of popped off. <laughs> like Out of respect. Could, out of respect, <laughs> they retreated. Uh, they or either that or they were just on fire they because <laughs> because of everything going on here. Maybe that was the light that we're watching with all of this. Yeah. Um. Okay. We all know that the reality of this is that these actors work incredibly, incredibly hard to get their bodies like this to make it work. How much do you think that Chris was lifting right before this shot? Like we know offset, like right off the, the, the frame of the shot, he probably has bench presses and other things that he's doing. Like how much do you think he's actually pumping at this point to just get all the blood into his muscles so that he looks this way? Cause I mean, he's like a balloon. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, um, you know, in the past, there's so much discussion about the standards of female beauty and all the things that they need to do to present them. But in in our, you know, in, in recent, in the last 20 years, there's just been an arms race, like a literal arms race <laughs> of just getting as shredded as possible. And you can see it in these movies, you know, um, like, you know, it's like it, in the movies we watch from the 80s, like... You know, a Kurt Russell dad bod 
is is also un, you know it's like totally different night and day between you know what we see in these marvel movies which is all those those 80s dad bots are also unattainable by me but <laughs> it's a totally different like totally different universe than where we are now with you know Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth and the amount that they're just expected to get ripped like uh, Henry Cavill was talking about it how you know wh- oh yeah to to look that ripped you can't drink water for 2 days you have to be dehydrated so you can see all the muscu- all the veins and all the musculature like it gets to the point where you can actually smell water um, you can wow, actually... that's so gross! Holy cow, that's horrifying! Yeah, and and even in the like, you know, we have this beautiful sweaty khaki reveal, and you know, he's this beautiful picture of of manly muscle, but even that is so gets eclipsed as we go on, even by the Marvel movies, as and we see like the the Chris Hemsworth. Thor of Love and Thunder is like, oh you, oh you like the six pack? I've got twenty five pack now. Like, did you know there were muscles between this muscle and this muscle? And you're just like, it's okay. Like, you can stop now. Like, we, we get it. <laughs> we were impressed at three. We, we were like, you, you had me at hello. Like. <laughs> it's okay. You, you, yeah, the, and it's just, oh, God, it must be so hard on them to just be like, they're like, we think we got the take, Chris, but could you just three or four more pull-ups just real quick, and we'll just go again. <laughs> right. Can we add more veins in post? Do we not have? Okay, just let's do another take. Chris, did you drink water three days ago? Because. God damn it, you knew we were going to be filming this scene. Yeah. What were you thinking? <laughs> It is funny, though, because, I mean, yeah, I guess in the 80s, there was that either it was either like the the Kurt Russell sort of bod or you had like the the bodybuilder types like uh, or boxers like Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger that were kind of the the opposite. And they were much more like the intense big action sort of things. Yeah, they, they were distinctively that. Yeah. Exactly. And now it is really kind of become a blend of all of that, where you have all of this yeah. kind of or coming like together. Chris Pratt and Kumail Nanjiani yeah. have to get totally ripped as soon as they're they're hired to be, you know. And for yeah. what? And for what? Like, Kumail, I'm sorry, but did we did we like need that? I don't think so. Like some people yeah. don't necessarily need to like, you know, you watch Die Hard and you're like, that's a perfectly fine body, Bruce Willis. Like <laughs> I'm on board with it. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. By the time we hit Ant-Man and Paul Rudd was like, you know, buffing up and everything. I'm like, hmm, I think we might've hit a point where all of a sudden it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. it, once you get too many six packs, you you stop seeing the six and you're just like okay yeah i i've taken it for granted now i've hit a critical mass of abdominal muscles and now they mean nothing to me uh, when you look at uh the shift i suppose in in the way that they're like um reveling in great bodies i feel like there was uh, so much more of that um for male gaze in the like the you know 
before this, but like 80s for sure, really felt very heavy in the, the male gaze with all these hot women in, in ridiculously small outfits. And it was like a thing that went on for probably far too long. And I'm wondering if there's just like this shift with kind of just the, the filmmaking culture and society where it's like, you know, it, it's time for it's time for the guys. Um, and I, I, do, I wonder if that's part of it or if it's just a superhero thing or, or what. But it does seem to be a thing right now. And, you know, I mean, I don't think it's a huge issue, but it is something that it does it does hit a point where it's like, you know, how much longer do we need to keep doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that um, that the superhero genre itself has the expectation of having these these man gods, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um, it, that that other um, adventure genres or adventure style stories didn't have that expectation of. Like, if you had it, it was a bonus, but it, there wasn't an expectation that you would match this totally improbable physique that you would see on the comic book pages, right? Yeah, and I feel like that just kind of trickled over, and 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 just kind of bled over into because of the success of the superhero movies went into all expectations of what a male action hero is supposed to look like now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we seeing much of that outside of the superhero films, though? I mean, I guess we kind of—I don't know. I guess there are things like you know um, the Fast and Furious franchise. I don't know if they are focused so much on that. No, that's about the cars. That's, that's yeah, it's all more about cars. the cars. Well, you, you still got to have like the rock and Vin Diesel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, but the rock is like a huge person, right? So, the, so the rock and even Arnold Schwarzenegger and John, like John Cena, they're gigantic people. So with or without muscles, they just, they, yeah, they feel more like the throwback to like the Schwarzenegger and Stallone from the 80s, yes, sort of. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like Chris Evans would be a, a normal, a normal size hot man if you just let it all go a little squishy. Um, you know, but the, the rock is going to be a huge man, even if he is squishy. So like the muscles are, are all, uh, great, but your Chris Rocks and your Chris Pratt's and, and you're really generally all your Chris's. If they didn't have that, like, really jacked up everything, they would look like every guy that you see on on the street, you know? So there's a difference. Well, I mean, look at Chris Evans in something like Knives Out. Like, exactly. you don't think of that in that. No, you, yeah. you do, but he, he does. Whatever is underneath, he fills out a sweater quite nicely. So well done, Chris <laughs> Evans. <laughs> But I, I think, like, the expectations of, like, like Daniel Craig with James Bond, like, he is expected to get, you know, even for his age, to get as ripped as possible. Mm-hmm. Not huge, but definitely, like... Well, yeah, that might be the first James Bond where they were kind of expecting that from, because you have mm-hmm. that moment with uh, Casino Royale when he comes out of the beach or out of the water at the, on, I think, Bahamas. And it's like the reverse of what we've always had in a James Bond movie where it's like Halle Berry coming out of the water, uh, you know, a few years before. And now here it is James Bond coming out of the water. And, you know, he's the one who's like the the beautiful one. And so it's it's an interesting shift in kind of the, the way that that people are viewing these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, Enough talk about hot bodies. Is it, uh, is it enough, Andy? I'm not sure. I, I feel like we. I think we've got a little more. Um, so I. So 
my favorite moment, maybe even in the whole movie, is where everyone is kind of gathering around um, the brand new hot Steve, and and um, Captain, and then uh, uh, Peggy Carter, like almost touches his chest, like she <laughs> she like reaches for it and is like, no, that's inappropriate. Like it's the best moment in the movie, um, because. She has just got the biggest lady boner at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes after such a funny line, too, right? Where where she's just like, how are you feeling? And he's uh-huh. like, taller. And uh-huh. it just, you know, it's it plays so well. And that moment of her and the nurse, like the nurse comes up. We have we have our nurse who we've we've seen off and on through this scene. That's, uh, of course, Catherine Press. Uh, she she brings the shirt that he came in with over to to Peggy to give to him. <laughs> and she also can't stop kind of like glancing over at Steve <laughs> through this whole thing. Well, it, and even like Howard Stark is like helping him, helping him out. Like he's got like his armor. I'm like, like, oh, I'm so tired. I did all those sit-ups. Uh, and there, he's got like his arm around and ha- Howard has his like hand like he's trying to support him but he's like has his hand like near the abs and he's like oh do i touch do i touch i don't i don't <laughs> everybody is in love yeah. with steve at this point they're uh-huh. all Did wanting you? to touch him yeah i mean tooch is the first one to run up there like as soon as the thing opens you know he goes up to help him out and it's like you know uh grabs his arms to help him step down and everything and it's yeah i mean they're all over him they're all all over him they all want him at this point and and the tooch is like my experiment worked. I made hotness. I made pretty boys. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, get a, get six more guys in there That's immediately. <laughs> get them in. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones is like, is anyone? Did I? Is there? Can I? Am I next? Yeah. How different would this would this moment be if it was Captain Carter having come out of the? Uh... Well, that's and that again that goes that's a very interesting point because that goes to the 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 ways that these sorts of films get made now because if if she had come out of it and if this was storytelling done again in the eighties she would have been wearing something that was far too tight and small and so she would have been incredibly buxom and and in this outfit that you know all the guys would have been ripped done. out of it and yeah so it's it's interesting kind of that that perspective shift on all of this. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it would have yeah. been kind of like the Amazon moment to where they're all in, they all have to look up and they're impressed as she's like towering over them, you know. And that's, you know, I, I think that when you look at something like Wonder Woman, I think they they did a really good job in that film of of not turning it into that. And, and I, I think Patty Jenkins was the right director for that, who was able to kind of make that film about the strength and everything without having to be this ogle fest. Yeah. And um and, you know, I, I don't know, I guess we have a little bit of an ogle fest going on here with everybody. But again, it's, you know, I, I feel like it's this point in society. Been, where it's like, I guess you know it's what? been time. It's, it's, it's time. It's a fair it's turn. Yeah. yeah. All right. Take it. Take it and enjoy. Um, but it, it is really funny. I love that, you know, uh, both. Uh, well, you know, Steve comes off the 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 thing and he's just like, uh, we did it. And then I like all the reactions, like, you know, Erskine's like, yeah, yeah, I think we did it. And then what's interesting (laughs) is that Howard looks at him and is like, you actually did it. He says, you actually did it, which I I think is so interesting because obviously he was very much involved 
and part of me wonders is like, where is Howard's thinking with all of this? Because, you know, we saw him earlier in the film. He failed at his experiment with his car. His flying car takes off and then immediately crashes. When he's first at the, uh, he shows up here, he's kind of like, he seems like a little self-doubting the way that he's describing, like, are we ready? Well, as we'll ever be. And now he's at this point where he's like, you actually did it. Like, does he just, is he just like so completely doubtful of his abilities to do anything? It's, it plays so strangely for me mm. that he says you actually did it. And it's like, he doesn't take any credit for any of this, but maybe yeah. this is a turning point for him. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a, it's a very interesting uh, interpretation. Like, I feel like Howard Stark is his own kingdom unto himself. You know, like he sees himself as the, the top of his own pyramid. And so he's doing, he's doing a team up, with Stanley Tooch, but he doesn't fully believe or or necessarily, you know, trust or even understand the science that he is his own pyramid, too. And so they're rolling the dice and he's supporting the Tooch, but he's like, oh, my God, you actually pulled it off. Like he sees it as even though he's part of the team, he's really like he's like a special guest star in the Tooch's own comic book series. It's like, whoa, you pulled it off like. You know, even yeah, yeah. That that's that's kind of I see it. Like, you know, like Howard Stark will never forget that he is the hero of his own story. <laughs> well, and you know, do you think there's an element? Um, I think a big part of what's happening in this film is setting up this idea that this super soldier serum, specifically the super soldier serum, is very much something that Erskine had come up with. Uh, you know, he used it on Schmidt or Schmidt kind of stole it and used it on himself. However, we want to explain that. And here he is with using it on Steve and it works with Steve. There's one vial left and we're going to find out what happens with that here uh, in a bit. But at this point, uh, you know, what we know that Stark kind of contributed to this was the, the Vita rays. And so I wonder if there's an element of by saying, by having Howard Stark say, you actually did it. It's kind of continuation of this idea that nobody else except for Dr. Erskine knows how to do this super soldier serum. And that is the core element that would make more of these super soldiers like Steve Rogers. And perhaps we need him to say that so that it doesn't become something like once Dr. Erskine gets killed, that Howard said, oh, it's fine. I can just make up, whip up another batch. We're good. Yeah, I got this. Keep putting men inside. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make more. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I, I think that's it. You hit the nail on the head. It's like they can't just keep making... Captain's America. <laughs> the Captain's America. <laughs> that would that would actually be really interesting if this whole thing doesn't happen where they uh, where Erskine gets killed and they just keep cranking more of these people out. Would they all just end up doing uh, dog and pony shows for the yeah, army? Like, they, they end up the like the Rockettes, you know. It's like <laughs> <laughs> the the dancing super soldiers. The thunder down under. Yeah, that's, that's what it, that is. That's exactly what it turns into. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a whole magic mic. Yeah, uh, you know this. Yeah, this hilarious. <laughs> the next one to come out is Channing Tatum. Yep. Right. Um, we get quick shots, uh, like reaction shots from upstairs, the observa- observation booth as Senator Brandt steps up to uh, to go downstairs. Uh, and of course, we already mentioned Tommy Lee Jones, the son of a bitch. He, they did it. Uh, I, I love. 
it, it, God, does that not feel like just the perfect example of a Tommy Lee Jones line? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Son of a bitch did it. Yep. That's something Tommy Lee Jones uh-huh. would say. Like I would, I wouldn't even be surprised if he just came up with that. He just, yeah. They were like, all right, go with it. That's why. No, no, I, I got the line. I got the line. <laughs> so, I got this. Uh, and, and we get, uh, you know, Richard Armitage, uh, Fred Clemson. At this point, I guess we're getting to a point where it's like, quote, Fred Clemson. Who is this mysterious figure? He seems, how do you both read his face? Like, can either of you remember when you first saw this movie? Did you think anything about this particular person? Uh, any suspicious thoughts? Or what were you reading as you saw him? Because we get this shot of him sitting there. He kind of has this smile and he stands up. The camera tilts down to reveal he's left his cigarette case in the seat. How did how did you do you remember what you thought about this? I definitely thought like he because it, it's two things that happened. Like he definitely has this like son of a bitch did it moment where he's like, wow, guys, high fives all around. Um, and then I did not, I couldn't, I just like, what is that box? I didn't know what it was. Uh, but then they show him again and you're like, oh, oh shoot, he's evil. No, he's definitely evil now. Like the face is telling me now that he's evil. Um, but the moment before that, he seemed like he was, he was into it. He was part, part of things. Uh, and so there's a definite shift uh, it, between the two like moments we get a lot of his uh, his face and reactions. Yeah, he he does a great job of like of of being someone that you want to be a good guy, and and when they make that twist, it's it's nice and delicious, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it plays well. And I mean, I, I guess at this point, we know we we saw that moment earlier where uh, Schmidt was when when uh, Doctor Zola says, "Shall I give the order?" and Schmidt says, "It has already been given." We're like, "Okay, something is going on with Doctor Erskine. We don't know what. We did see a bunch of suspicious-looking characters outside the antique shop. Does that have something to do with it?" But we're slowly starting to get that idea, like, "Oh, this person might be. There's something here." And yeah, the idea that he left something in his seat. I guess that's one of those things where the music isn't quite playing. Evil yet, but there's something suspicious about why is he leaving something in the seat? You know, and the camera's clearly emphasizing it. So it's definitely designed for us to be thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're kicking. It's one of the things that 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 I really like about this movie is just kind of the homage to like the old like Republic serials. You know that this is feels like an adventure movie from the forties. You know, and so like this whole sequence reminds me of something that might have been in in, like Spy Smasher or something like that. Even like the sets almost have like a black and white feel to it, you know. Um, And so just this classic like, you know, oh, one of the guys is a secret Nazi spy and he's and he's got a bomb that's going to go off like it, it all totally like works into that you know that kind of like republic serial uh, adventure film that that um, the Rocketeer is a hundred percent made of totally shares the same the same um, you know tone that uh, that Johnston used for the Rocketeer. It very much feels of that world. Um, so we get this final moment here as everybody kind of comes downstairs. They're all congratulatory. We already have that fantastic moment where uh, Peggy 
has to stop herself from actually touching Steve's pecs. Uh, just all of the great stuff. She gives him his shirt. Uh, Brant and Phillips have a little line. And then the camera has this great kind of truck in toward Clemson at the back, lit kind of from below. So he looks incredibly evil. Alan Silvestri's music definitely takes a darker turn here. And then he and Erskine share this look as Erskine kind of catches this guy standing uh, by himself in the distance there. I feel like at this point, yeah, we're this minute is ending at this moment where we're like, this guy is 100% bad and something is about to happen. And it's a great for for our purposes. It ends up being a great cliffhanger here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Any last thoughts about him or this minute? Uh, Because otherwise, we've got plenty we can save about all of this moment for tomorrow's minute. Yeah, I think he's up to no good. Yeah, he seems uh, shady. Well, if he didn't seem shady, Alan Silvestri certainly thinks he is because it's true. <laughs> music certainly isn't isn't happy at this point. There's something evil in the works. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, let's uh, we'll we'll jump back into tomorrow's minute. We'll talk more about everything that's going to happen from this point forward. At this point, why don't you two again remind everybody where they can tune into your podcast and what it's all about? Nathan, you give this one a whirl. Okay, let's do it. Let's see if I can remember the name of my own podcast. The most, <laughs> the most excellent '80s movies podcast. Um, it's where we kind of revisit um, '80s movies from our childhood um, with our new adult eyes. Sometimes movies that we we loved or movies that we may have even missed. Um, and we we bring on guests and we we make we we have a good comical discussion about uh, how how things have changed in the last um 20 30 uh, shoot 40 yeah, years yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been a wow. minute yeah wherever fine podcasts are served fantastic well we will have the link for that in the show notes definitely check out the podcast it's a fun one to listen to uh, you can learn more about our show and our socials and join our discord community and our merch and all that just go to marvelmovieminute.com and you can find out all of that stuff there we'll be back tomorrow to, t- to find out more about this mysterious fred clemson standing in the back of the rebirth lab so until next time true believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.